Hello, welcome again to another episode of SG Explained. We've been gone for a while, but we're happy to be back. Uh, Elliot, how's it going? Hey, things are going good, my dude. I mean, I mean, as far as pandemics go, it's been pretty good. Lah. Yeah, it's it's a rough time right now. Um, you know, a lot of my flights got cancelled. Oh yeah, boohoo to you, man. Flights got cancelled. Weren't you supposed to go on a honeymoon? Uh, I po- postponed it indefinitely. Yeah, yeah there's, a, there's, a, there's a lot that's happened since our last episode. Um, I know Elliot got married. Uh, yeah, congratulations. Hey, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, you know, we went through Christmas and New Year's. And, and, and to our audience who's been waiting for an episode for a while, you know, we kind of took a break because there were a bunch of things happening, including Elliot getting married and, yep, yep, and, yep. and a bunch of other stuff. But, you know... Um, COVID-19 has provided uh, a good reason for us to come back and do an episode and to actually get momentum going again. Yep. Unfortunately, I think we're not, we're not practicing social distancing right now. We're like literally next to each other. <laughs> right. this, but uh, that's because of the mic setup. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. But, but I've done my temperature check of the day. Uh, I, I hope you have, Elliot. Um, yeah, let's let's say I did. Let's say I did. Okay. Right. Okay. <laughs> cool. Um, so today's episode is actually not on COVID nineteen. In, in fact, we're doing it on SARS, uh, which happened in two thousand and three. And the reason why we're doing that is because COVID nineteen is still an ongoing thing. I think a lot of us have a lot of questions about what's happening, and we don't want to seem we don't want to give answers when we don't really know what's happening mm-hmm. uh, but what we what we can do is we can look back at a previous public health crisis uh, and see actually how we dealt with it see what we did that we're carrying on and what we did that you know actually uh, inspired some changes moving forward but it, it's it's really just to to be able to have a, a finger on the pulse, and I think uh, Elliot and I are going to talk a bit about you know our views on on what's ongoing as well, just to you know keep keep in touch with with, with ongoing events. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. I think like most of you and I both lived through SARS, right? Yes, yes. I remember being like a primary school kid and being super happy when they shut down the schools. Oh yeah, yeah. Two thousand and that was two thousand three, right? Right. So, I was how old was I in two thousand and three? Seventeen years my, ago. My so. seventeen years ago, so I would have been twelve. Right? Wow! Yeah, yeah. Right, 12, I yeah. I was uh, ten. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Cool. So. Yeah, yeah. So, Louis, we lived through the time of SARS. Uh, Wait, so SARS was, was during your PSLE year? Was it? Yeah, probably. I mean, I don't know, man. Every, if you ask <laughs> Did you me even right know now, that you were doing PSLE? I don't, hey, dude, let's just put it this way. Prior to 16, right, life didn't really happen. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't remember anything right. during that time. I mean, sure, there are like some flashes here and there, but uh, SARS as a moment, I think, as a kid, is very different. When you didn't have things like social media, as it, it wasn't a big thing, right? Mm-hmm. 2003, I don't even think there was Friendster at the point in time. Uh, no, I, I remember. I remember going on Facebook only in secondary one. Yeah, you gotta be like much, much older to have Facebook, lah. Yeah. Right. So, SARS was during a time when we didn't have any of these viral WhatsApp like posts telling you to eat garlic or you know. Yeah. Yeah, giving you like these really weird pofma statements. So so yeah, that was actually something we're gonna talk about later, which yeah. is what's changed between two thousand three <laughs> and now. And I think one of the big things is social media. Yeah. So okay, let's dive into it. Cool. So what is SARS? What is it? What does it stand for? SARS is actually severe acute respiratory syndrome, mm-hmm. uh, which is a long name for basically saying uh, somewhat something like 
you cannot breathe. Uh, very hard yeah. to breathe. Yes, uh, exactly. It's it almost like pneumonia, but it's even worse. Uh, and there are actually a lot of great videos by actual medical practitioners out there about how SARS actually affects your body. And I, I highly recommend people to go check it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're not really going to do like the health version of this talk. I think. Uh, we're not. We're not qualified. Like, let's be very fair. <laughs> right. You and I, we are not medical experts. Right. All we know how to do is uh, we do the basics, right? Like wash our hands. Yes. Social distancing. Those are the main practices. But yeah. <laughs> as far as te- like technical terms, don't trust a single word I say. Yeah. Especially me. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, but but we will talk about you know some of the the, the public health aspects yeah. of it, the political social aspects of it. Um, so uh, SARS actually started in 2003 and it started in this place called Foshan in Guangdong in China. Um, and the first case was actually 16 November 2002. Um, it spread throughout China and then after that worldwide as far as Canada and the outbreak was officially declared ended on 5th July 2003 when the WHO, the World Health Organization declared SARS contained so that's that's around nine months where SARS existed. Wow. Okay. Uh, we are currently in probably our three-month mark for COVID-19. Hey, not too bad, man. Not too bad. Um, yeah, but I've also heard that COVID-19 is going to go much longer. Oh, is it? So, <laughs> I mean, boo. Yeah, I yeah, think boo. That, that's the only response to that. <laughs> but, but you know what? What was interesting was that the New York Times actually did this whole analysis on you know how SARS broke out and like what was the political response to it, mm-hmm. and they actually found that in China they had suppressed reporting on the virus right. and did not publicly address the issue until uh, February 11, 2003. So it was a long time. It after the announcement, it took six weeks for the Chinese government. To come up public, is it? Yeah. yeah. Well, not to come up public, but to even start sharing information. Right, right. For right. other doctors and people in the medical community to start developing a response to this. So that means, you know, there were about 12 weeks from the day uh, SARS was actually discovered in China to when foreign uh, doctors and, and medical community, people in the medical community could actually do something about wow. it. Wow. Okay. okay. Uh, which is a long time. That is, a, that is a, 12 weeks is a lot. If you think about it, that's literally where we are right now yeah if we're at the three-month mark now and imagine learning about covid at this very moment then, right yeah that's how long it took and there would have been a lot of deaths for them to have tried to sweep yeah, under the yeah, rug exactly, exactly yeah but you know let's talk about how it how it happened in singapore you know do, do you remember when it when it first broke out in singapore elliot no not at all uh i i think for me back back then when we were still like studying and stuff there were all these, these like when you're a kid, right? You remember remember all these like stuff like hand foot mouth disease and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So to me, when my mom said, "Hey, there's this thing that's going on called SARS," I was like, mm, "Just another, just another thing that I might get infected by." I was a very sickly kid. Yeah. Yeah. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. So my mom's very, very protective. Yeah. Of of uh, me going out and playing with friends. So when this happened, I just thought, ah, it's gonna be the same old, same old. It only got really serious when. Puachukang came out and started singing songs. I was like, oh, this is not a joke anymore. Right. Yeah, it's much bigger. Well, I, I want to hear you sing the song later on. Oh, okay, uh, sure, sure, sure. Uh, yeah. Stay till the end. I'll, I'll do my little jingle for Right. Yeah. Uh, so, so SARS actually broke out in Singapore in February 2003 when a young woman who had been infected while holidaying abroad returned to Singapore. So that means it's around four months after the first case in China. Okay. Uh, this this lady who, who went holidaying came back and, and she basically was case zero mm-hmm. uh, patient zero in Singapore 
Um, and then after that, there was a chain of transmission. And by the time the infection was brought under control in Singapore, there were a total of 238 cases and 33 deaths. So was that our final number, like for SARS? Yep, yep. Okay. That's not, that's, uh, well, I'm really glad that's the only number we have for SARS. Yeah. <laughs> I know the current number we have for COVID is not, it's not looking good, man. No, uh, but the number of deaths is much lower in Singapore. Yeah. yeah so yeah, I, right. I, I think uh, there are a couple of differences, which will probably explain the difference in numbers as well. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, in general, we want to keep two numbers low. The first is, of course, the number of cases, but the second is the number of deaths. Um, and, and I think with COVID, there is this uh, sense that actually there is a recovery opportunity mm-hmm. uh, yep. for a lot of people. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, from what I understand, there's no like, there's no vaccine yet, right? There's no cure. No, no. Right, but people are getting discharged because they just generally outgrew the, like the symptoms. Right, so basically the virus attacks your immune system, your immune system reacts in a way that basically shuts your body down. Mm -hmm. Uh, But if you don't have, normally if you don't have any underlying health conditions, your immune system is also able to kick back in and say, no, 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 actually we recognize that this is a virus and then we're going to expel it. Right, right, right. Uh, Because we've had had people who have been discharged from like, you know, from the holding facilities and uh, from being quarantined or being in like the CDC kind of stuff. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, But on the other hand, if you do have underlying health conditions or you have a very weak immune system on the onset, um, then your immune system kind of just collapses on on right. itself, and that's where death is is is, mm-hmm. is potential. Right. I, I've seen some stats in like the U.S., for example, with the I think like eighty percent of the deaths in America have been mm. from the elderly, so fifty five and above. Yep. So I mean that's kind of an indicator of you know if if your body is slightly weaker, if you're not as healthy as um, like let's say a kid like you and I. Okay, not you and I like, We're not that healthy, like, right. to be fair. But uh, like, <laughs> I try. We we try. We try. Um, there's a chance that you can recover on your own volition with enough medical care, uh, you know, taking care of the symptoms and whatnot. There is a good chance that you'll be all right. Mm-hmm. It's just that we're trying to contain the spread right now. That's the stage yep. in Singapore that we're in. Yeah. So essentially, you know, when SARS happened, there were 20 other countries uh, that reported SARS cases during the global epidemic. Right. And Basically, Singapore had to roll out a number of measures, including home quarantine, blanket blanket screening of travelers, uh, and they, and like we talked about, they also closed schools. Yeah. Um, and and in Singapore, um, so we talked about globally the fact that it took almost nine months for it to be contained globally. In Singapore, it actually only took three months. So oh, okay. from the day it was. Uh, you know, the, f- the first day in February 2003 when they discovered a young woman, um, all the way till May 2003 when they contained the outbreak in in Singapore. That's just three months for Singapore to actually react and, That's pretty and get things yeah. under control. But they, they took a lot of, of measures, right, um, right. including, you know, quarantines and school closures. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. So let's 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 kind of dive in into uh, patient zero and and some of the first patients that that got SARS. Okay, so like I, I remember SARS first reached Singapore in like late February two thousand three, like you said. Yep. And with return return of three Singaporean women from Hong Kong, uh, while there they had stayed at like this Metropole Hotel and caught the virus from an infected hotel guest, um, supposedly a doctor from Guangzhou. Right. So the three women were hospitalized for atypical pneumonia between 1st and 3rd March. 
However, because of like, you know, we talked about a chain of transmission developing. Mm-hmm. Uh, when the virus spread from the youngest patient to 21 other contacts, that's when like, yeah, that's when all madness hit the fan. And this marked the start of that outbreak right here in mm-hmm. Singapore. So I think we have five people who were classified as super spreaders during the SARS outbreak in Singapore. Yep. I love that term, by the way, super spreaders. Yep. It sounds like a superpower, but actually it's <laughs> the reverse it's quite, of it. Quite the opposite. It's quite the opposite. <laughs> yeah. uh, most of these infected um, cases during the outbreak were healthcare workers. So hence, you know, I think there's a lot of, because we've learned from this before about mm-hmm. how the frontline workers are always at risk. Yep. I think it, it's kind of like that mentality has spread to our current day. Yep. But we'll talk about that a bit later. So yeah, most of these infected were actually healthcare workers. Uh, approximately about forty point eight percent, and the family members of those people. Mm-hmm. So the last SARS case here was isolated in early May, and Singapore was removed from WHO's list of SARS affected countries by the end of May as well. Yep, that's so, that was great. Yeah, so th- th- it's it's fascinating how this idea of super spreaders and this idea of clusters, you know, was developed from the SARS period, right? Mm-hmm. So so that that first patient who was admitted to Tantok Singh Hospital was isolated, but the nurse that she that she was in contact with, you know, so you, we talked about this 21 contacts that she had. One of those people was a nurse and that nurse actually spread it to another uh, 23 people. Yeah. So so it, it goes to show how this need for containment is is incredibly important. Yeah, uh, one person can give to 23. Yeah. Wow, that's uh, yeah. Yeah, and, and you know, it just kept going on basically and and the, the the tricky thing about SARS I guess especially in Singapore was that because it was spreading in hospitals and it was spreading amongst healthcare workers you know this is a is a space that's innately vulnerable it's a space that's innately uh, filled with people who either have weak immune systems who are already there for some other reason and especially for healthcare workers because they have to have so much contact with people like that, yep. uh, they're they are trying to do their best, right? They are there serving on the front line, really, literally putting their lives at risk. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and and they may not know that they're also super spreaders in themselves, mm-hmm. uh, which is a very unfortunate and, you know, it's one of those like heavily ironic, but in a sad way kind of thing. Yeah, things. yeah, yeah. It's it's the risk that you take to, to contain the virus. Yeah. Yep. So that that was like how it all started. Now let's talk a bit about the transmissions. Right. So we kind of talked a little bit about clusters and the first cluster over here had more than 40 cases linked to the youngest of those three women I mentioned earlier on. Right. Um, she had been admitted to Tan Tok Singh Hospital on the 1st of March and was isolated on 6th of March. So there's this whole five days, I think. You know, mm-hmm. I think it's also the first time we've had to deal with such a... A viral case like yep. this highly infectious uh, but you know this this first, the first woman who was admitted was eventually uh, she eventually recovered but one of the 21 contacts who caught the virus from her uh, that nurse that you mentioned and how she spread to that 23 of them like I think that nurse was admitted to Tan Tok Seng on the 10th of March so if you look at the, at the timeline of this it's very urgent and it, it was so quick like the amount of response time that we've had to take uh, to formulate these plans of containment mm-hmm. it's not a lot of time yep right just a matter of days um, by the time she was isolated on the 13th of March the virus had spread from her to more than 20 people and one of these patients who shared the same ward with the nurse was transferred to the Tan Tok Seng Hospital Coronary Unit on the 12th of March and while there the virus was spread from the transit patient to another 20 healthcare workers and five family members before she was placed in isolation eight days later. Mm-hmm. 
the transformation, however, uh, passed on on the 29th of March. So this timeline, just in the month of March itself, you can see uh, one infected person, and if they move to a separate like cluster, mm-hmm. it, it creates a, a whole new problem and zone. Yeah, uh, it's, th- it's literally an exponential effect. It's an exponential effect. Yeah. I think we've had a very similar thing here in Singapore, right? Yep. Um, it started like in in the churches, and then we had in uh, Safra, Jurong. Yep, yep. Yeah, it 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 takes just one person to move into a a new area, and suddenly that area becomes a hotspot. Right. Yeah. So so let's let's jump into what what the public health system and what the government did in the SARS era. Yeah. So there were a couple of key response measures. The first of all is prevention and control. So. You know, the strategy back then was early detection and isolation of suspected and probable cases, um, including educating the public on symptoms of the disease and how it can be spread. So one of the key things that they did was to urge people to seek immediate medical attention, mm-hmm. to you know take their temperature regularly. The government even gave out thermometers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we uh, had uh, all those free thermometers in school, right? Remember? Right. Every morning assembly, that's we take a temperature, then you have to tell the teacher, 37.1, then they say, Right. Uh, that's it. I also Shall felt like they did temperature checking way beyond that as well. I felt like even after SARS kind of died out. There it, were these things called temperature taking exercises. If my mem- if I'm not having a false memory right now, yeah. I do remember having temperature taking exercises. So uh, there'll be times we say like, okay, everyone bring a thermometer on this day uh, for morning assembly and we'll do a temperature te- taking exercise yeah, like yeah. for fun, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, even at work right now, uh, they gave out thermometers to us uh, as a working adult for us to oh, do it. it. You have one. And, and we have to report our temperature oh, okay. to a central form. Oh, that's quite nice. Uh, that's twice quite nice. a day. On our, on our end in my in my office space, basically they have a Nurse Joy. I, I nicknamed this guy called Nurse Joy. Okay. Because uh, there's a bunch of them who just sit in front of my office. They take the temperature gun and point it at your head. <laughs> and then uh, we try to play this game where we guess our temperature, like right. price is right rules. Right. So I'll say like, ah, oh, 36.6. Then he'll come, 36.4. Ah, oh, <laughs> I lost, you know. Uh, just things just things to keep us entertained during this high it's a very serious period obviously yep. but you got to keep your spirits up right expect uh, what was it that uh, minister said you know expect the worst but hope for the best mm-hmm, yeah. mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's my stance as well yeah yep. so so a lot of these cases that uh, citizens were able to self flag out they isolated in Tandok Singh or the CDC which is the communicable communicable disease center mm-hmm. Uh, and after the case was identified, investigations were carried out to trace all individuals and to find these clusters, basically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, thankfully, we also had back then this thing called the Infectious Diseases Act, uh, which we still do have right now and we are invoking currently as well. Uh, but back then, MOH was able to invoke it to quarantine and monitor you know, people who were in close contact with infected people. Mm-hmm. Um, and they even created a private ambulance service so that they could take people to and fro from, from um, you know, where, wherever they were to Tan Tok Seng Hospital. That's very cool. Is, yeah. uh, do, do you know if currently Tan Tok Seng Hospital is like one of the major strongholds for, um, for uh, see now I forgot the disease name. COVID-19. <laughs> for COVID-19. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so that's actually a very good question because I think one of the things that we, we will talk about later is Exactly why Tantok Singh was the only hospital that was dealing with SARS back then. And I think that was actually a point of failure and a point of, of um, 
weakness for our public health system back then, which was that Tan Tock Seng Hospital was the only hospital that was resourced mm -hmm. to deal with SARS. I think one of the key things that have changed uh, is that more hospitals now have the capabilities to be able to deal with a pandemic like COVID-19. That's cool. Yeah. So, so like I said, on 22nd March 2003, there were only two places that were made designated facilities for treating SARS cases. The first was Tan Tock Seng and the second was CDC. Um, and within these places, then, you know, after these first few clusters that went from nurse to patient, nurse to patient, uh, basically they created enhanced control measures to prevent new transmissions. So for example, staff had to wear personal protective equipment, including face masks, gloves and gowns. Uh, they had to monitor their own temperatures and other hospitals also had to take precautions in handling patients, especially those with fever and pneumonia. And then finally, the last measure was preventing imported cases, mm -hmm. which is not something uh, new. Yeah, uh, this is the one where we have to build a wall, right? You're something. right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So uh, I think that's something that's very relevant today since we are a, a little bit more connected than we were uh, all the way back then. So when the World Health Organization recommended on 27th March that airlines should start screening passengers for potential exposure to SARS, Singapore immediately requested that all airlines flying in and out of Singapore uh, comply with these measures. Changi Airport had started this like, screening exercise on 29th March, just as the fourth imported case was identified. Uh, someone who was infected overseas, but diagnosed in Singapore. Something that uh, is very relevant because the day that we're recording this podcast, I think um, our exchange students have been uh, recalled, right? Right. I mean, they've been coming back for the past few days. Yeah, past few days, yeah. as, as recommended. Uh, the, all the airlines operating flights to Singapore were required to screen passengers at the check-in counters, and those who appeared unwell would need to obtain a doctor's certification in order to board the flight to Singapore. Other incoming travellers were required to complete a health declaration card, as we do now, and subjected to temperature checks upon arrival. This temperature checking thing has uh, really been a, a very key measure. Mm -hmm. uh, I'd say it always appears here and there. It's like your first cut, you know? Yeah, yeah, it's uh, really like the first indicator. La, so yep. it really helps a lot. Uh, in addition to visual checks on site by nurses, thermal imaging scanners were deployed at air, sea, and land checkpoints to help pick out those with high temperatures. Passengers arriving from SARS-affected areas especially were also handled, uh, handed health advisory cards providing information on SARS symptoms and how to seek help if they became ill with such symptoms. So following that incident of quarantined individuals breaking the requirement to stay at home, MOH announced on April 10th that surveillance cameras will be placed in homes of those quarantined. So th they were dead serious on saying like, hey, you better stay at yeah, home. Yeah, okay? because I think one of the key things that was happening was that people who were being quarantined, a lot of them, this was the first time for them. Yep. So yep. they thought, you know, this is just a yeah, guidance. It's, it's like nothing on right. this one. Yeah, uh, and so uh, they would leave their home uh, in fact, actually, you know, you said April 10 surveillance cameras, April 12, it was decided that those who flouted home quarantines would be required to wear electronic tags. Yeah, dude. Um, so those well, like ankle bracelets, that kind of thing. Something similar curious. to it, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, and they, they stiffened the penalties for breaking quarantine, uh, including possible jail sentences uh, and higher fines. Right. right. You know, there was actually a, a man, a 50 year old man, who was jailed for breaking his quarantine order twice. Uh, during SARS, yeah, Charlotte. Um, so so before we before we jump into the impact of SARS, I, I think it's it's worth talking a bit about some of these things in comparison to what's happening right now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, um, I mean, one of the immediate things I can I can definitely tell the difference is that 
you know, we we have this new term called social distancing. Uh, the WHO actually doesn't like that term. It prefers the term physical distancing because it, it wants to remind people that you can still connect with people socially. Yeah, just fair. not in, in physical I'd rather contact. not, to be fair. Like, if I had a chance, I just wouldn't talk to anyone. Oh, is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're literally talking to an I'm using social right distancing as an excuse, right, to not confront my my issues with certain people. Right. Yeah, it's like, hey, can we schedule this meeting with, ah, sorry, I got social distancing to, I, you know, to. low key, I've been trying to do that too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's Sometimes fine. people it's will fine. message me and be like, yo, drinks, and I'll be like, mm, nah, social distancing. Social yeah. distancing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to be responsible. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but no, you, it's one of those things where in order to prevent the formation of clusters, in order to prevent the potential spread through inadvertent means, one of the things that uh, public health officials are recommending is it's it's is this term called flatten the curve mm, flatten where the curve. okay interesting yeah, have you heard this term oh and i've not heard this term actually okay so flatten the curve yeah go go google google it okay uh you know flatten the curve is basically when one of the things about COVID-19 is that it's highly transmissible, even more transmissible than SARS, right? And that's one of the key reasons why uh, people are scared. It's because even though the death rate could be, you know, ambiguous out of, out of an overall number, whether or not it's asymptomatic or not, mm-hmm. uh, one of the key things is that COVID-19 is highly transmissible, meaning that even though the, the, the rate is low, ah. the potential number could be much higher because more right, people right, are getting right. it. Okay, right? so according to LifeScience.com, flattening the curve refers to community isolation measures that keep the daily numbers of disease cases at a manageable level for medical providers. Yep. So yeah, we want to basically reduce the number of infections per day. Right? Yes, ah, yes. Okay, so okay. By, by practicing physical distancing, by you know avoiding high-risk activities, what you then do is you reduce the potential transmission, which also helps the public health system maintain a healthy throughput, right? It's able to manage the number of people coming in. It's able to quickly get those people back to recovery and send them back out. Uh, What we don't want is where the high transmission rate, you know, basically causes a surge in number of patients. And even though the death rate could be low, it still overwhelms the public health system, causing the number of people that are infected to not have access to opportunities to recover or or medication or ventilators and all this kind of stuff. So flattening the curve, uh, I've heard this alternate term called bring the hammer down. Uh, bring the hammer no bring the hammer sounds too fun we cannot bring the hammer down right uh, that's a Thor that's a Thor sort of reference I think but it's basically about bringing that, that number down yeah um, and, and it, it is really about helping the public health system cope with okay. the number of cases it's really about physical distancing uh, which which you know, is is slightly more drastic than what happened in SARS. I think. Yes, I think so. I mean, uh, let's let's be very fair. I think there's a we got to talk about the differences between then and now. Um, we alluded to this earlier on. I think this would be a great place to talk about it. Is how these things have changed uh, in our current climate. Mm-hmm. Like these measures are all well and good, and we see them being practiced in our current. Um, uh, pandemic, right? In, right. In, in in the current way we're managing this whole situation in Singapore, but there are a few more things that have popped up, and we're still trying to get our head our head around how to solve these problems, like lack of things like face masks, you know. Um, yep. What's well, panic buying? That's the, that's the term they're using these days, and the amount of uh, the spread of news via social media has has hit an all time high. Uh, I don't want to blame it on boomers because mm-hmm. that sounds really weird, but like. You know, my mom would send me these videos of like, you should eat 
like garlic and chili oil to prevent coronavirus. It doesn't. Okay, it doesn't. Yeah, I mean, in the Indian community, they keep talking about turmeric. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's like everyone has a has some like special solution for for COVID nineteen. Yep. Um, but there is no way to verify these news, these sort of opinions or facts, uh, except through you know like official media channels. So I I'm very kept up to date with like the WHO, very uh, kept up to date with like the MOH guidelines, and they're pushing these out very regularly. Yeah. So in SARS time, there was no social. There was media. no such thing. Yeah. Uh, and so you got most of your news from the daily broadcasts, yeah. right? And and you're absolutely right that now you have some people who are well-intentioned, yeah. some people who are maliciously trying to spread, uh, you know, just things that are not verified. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, you also have, one of the key things is that you also have opportunity to spread uh, ways to to practice good behaviors. Yeah, yeah, fast, that's right. Exactly. Right? So the government has been trying to use social media to its benefit. I did read uh, somewhere that the government is also happy that they've, uh, you know, a couple of months ago, or not a couple of months ago, but you know, almost half a year back, instituted the protection against online falsehoods. Yes. Uh, POFMA. POFMA helps. Which basically allowed them to clamp down on, especially news that could be damaging to public health order. Yeah. Right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, I think there was that. And you know how I was saying, like, when I was a kid, uh, when I heard the Pachukang song, like, it, I realized that things were going bad. Yep. Yeah, he just released a, a second song. <laughs> right, right, and, right. Like, just yesterday, if I'm not wrong. Yeah, and that's actually spread through social media. And that's spread through social media. It's, yeah. it's a lot more easier to spread it now, you know. Yeah. There's A, there's nostalgia factors, and B, it's... Uh, it, it transmits faster via like things like Facebook, WhatsApp, you know, all these things that weren't there before have yep. helped us uh, quite, quite, quite a lot. I feel yeah, like. yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, even even uh, that day, I was watching uh, Speaker of House uh, Tan Chuan Jin. Mm-hmm. He was he was uh, live streaming on Facebook. He was walking the grounds at NTUC. I think it was near Kembangan side. Like right. I, can't, I can't be sure, uh, but he was walking the grounds to tell people, "Hey, don't need to panic, buyer. Everything's yeah. okay." I was just like, <laughs> right. just checking out, making sure everything's chill. And that's the kind of a thing that allows, I would think, like political leaders, who are trying to curb, um, you know, like just try to get a finger on the pulse, try to ease public sentiment, uh, using social media as a way to show like everything is okay because mm-hmm. people are watching them, right? Yep. They are. In for lack of a better word, the celebrities of of, of a pandemic. Yeah, yeah, yeah people yeah. are all eyes on them because I mean, it's direction. a test of their governance as it's well. It's a test of governance, exactly, right. exactly. So with with social media, yes, we have a new era of chance for like oh, falsehoods being spread, but we also have a chance to to use it to our advantage to disseminate information that is is urgent mm-hmm. much quicker. Yep, yeah. The other key change that I've been personally observing is you know, basically lockdowns. So, you know, during SARS, they had home quarantines, they had school closures. But right now, actually, what's different is that they've actually locked down the borders absolutely, right? So there are countries that, like Italy, right, which is on a complete lockdown, no one in, no one out. Even within the country, they've uh, you know stopped domestic flights. They've stopped. Uh, they've only maintained essential services. Uh, Singapore just yesterday uh, said that they have blocked short-term visitors, mm-hmm. right? Because they don't want importation of cases. Uh, because that's another reason why uh, public health resources could be exhausted is because you have uh, imported cases from people outside of your citizenship, outside of the people mm-hmm. that that basically formed. 
your main concern group. Yeah. Uh, and they are taking up resources that actually should be going to your to your own citizens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we mentioned this in the SARS era as well, where people who had symptoms overseas but came to Singapore for diagnosis, yeah. right? So that's something I think we're trying to not just clamp down, but it's more of a protective measure to ensure that uh, we don't get another super spreader. Like right down, down the ground, and also that we again prioritize our resources. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yes. So, so, uh, and that that in itself has impacts um, on on our society and our economy, right? So, mm-hmm. it, it's it's a bit easy to think about a public health crisis in isolation, thinking about it as you know just a set of measures that people do to contain the virus, but actually. Even after SARS, there were long-lasting impacts, right? So the economy back then uh, was heavily hit mm-hmm. by SARS. You know, revenues at retail shops and restaurants dived. Taxi drivers reported fewer passengers. Stock prices fell, uh, and the government cut Singapore's economic growth forecast for 2003. Uh, it was two to five percent. They cut it down to 0.5 to 2.5 percent. Um, and that was you're talking about you're talking about SARS, right? Because yeah. this sounds very, very familiar to what we're going through right now. Right, and basically back then the economy contracted uh, sharply by four point two percent. Now the good thing was that back then it didn't really cause a recession, because the I, I think SARS just happened in in sort of a period by itself. Uh, right now, what's happening is that there's a compound effect because not only do you have COVID nineteen, we were actually going to go into a recession year anyway, yeah, we, right? Well, so, we were going through a contraction, yeah. so there was still a chance that we could avoid a recession, very right. small chance. Uh, right, right. But COVID just <laughs> just threw that out of the water. It was like, nah, okay, we're gonna go through a recession. Let's just get prepared and get through it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and actually, the key thing is that there was an opportunity to position yourself differently, right? So I think after SARS. Basically, there was a lot of repositioning uh, around, you know, how do we support certain sectors better? Right now, it's a similar thing where with COVID-19, especially because it's at such a global scale, there's a question around how can Singapore take advantage of the recovery period moving forward? Right, right. right? I think that's a, that's a interesting way of... So from a business owner's point of, point of view, like I, I ran my own little entrepreneurship, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've talked to quite a few business owners about this time because they've seen SaaS, right? Mm-hmm. They went through SaaS and their business, um, well, some of them some of them kind of waned, some of them sort of, uh, you know, took it, how do I say it? They made it out of life, yeah. right? So I've had some uh, very good advice uh, that came from, you know, people who've actually lived through SaaS and had businesses. They said, you know, instead of worrying about the outward look of, of your business, look inwards. Like, yep. yeah, you're going to bleed. You're going to have, you're going to have some times where, Things not going to go your way. Our business is going to take a take a bit of a dive. Yep. What you can do is use that opportunity to look internally, fix corporate structure, fix you know, make sure that Absolutely. you're yeah. Use it as an opportunity um, for the things that you couldn't do on the day to day basis. Yeah, because one of the key things is that when you're running a business and you're moving fast, you're focusing on growth and sales. Uh, it's hard to change the wheels on a moving yeah, car. Yeah, the, the 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 internal parts, right? Yeah. yeah, it's very easily neglected. Yeah, so so there are opportunities that people took and it kind of repositioned them uh, for to take advantage of it. There is pain in the short run, but there is potential for an upside if you if you position mm-hmm. for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other impact was on uh, on the social side. So I think this was the first time that in a, in a while that Singapore had to face such a global crisis uh, regarding public health. You know, people 
were, were very fearful. There was a lot of people staying at home, uh, whether it's you know avoiding shopping centers, avoiding traveling, mm-hmm. uh, and and you know hygiene just became a very important issue to the point where I like I said I think even after SARS, there were regular temperature checks. There were all these signs about you know keeping. Um, Keeping your hands clean, how to wash your hands properly, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and sure, all this kind sure. of and sa- and and the Portugang song just became a regular. It was a uh, it became part of for, our meme culture for the rest of eternity. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but but on the other hand, it also allowed Singapore to come together, right? I think we talked about this in one of our previous episodes. I remember, but you know, one of the biggest areas for growth for a country and a society is during crisis. Yeah, uh, and and as much as we want to avoid crisis and we don't want to go through a crisis. Uh, it also allows us to really identify what our values are. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think it it shows you some really good good sides of Singapore, but also some bad sides. And yep. we're always trying to, you know, find ways to to improve ourselves culturally speaking as well. Right. Like as as a as one big community and one one society. Uh, I've actually been pretty um, happy. I guess this is a good time to segue into talking a bit about our personal feelings. Yeah. About the about the crisis. So, uh, just as an exercise, Rovic. Tell me something that you really appreciate about this entire, you know, saga that we've gone through during, um, you know, during the COVID-19 situation. And I'll share one good thing that I think has come up with the COVID-19 right. situation. I think one thing I love uh, is that we have decided as a community and as a society that we will care for the people who are putting their lives at risk. Yeah. Right. So uh, back then in SARS, there was this thing called a courage fund, which was set up to help healthcare workers and victims of SARS. Mm-hmm. Now we have this movement uh, in the COVID nineteen era. We have this movement called SG United. Yeah. Right. right. And right. SG United is basically Singaporeans directing resources, fundraising, spending time, really helping your frontline workers, really supporting F and B. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so really support. Yeah, that is exactly true. I yeah. Love it. Yeah. I, I, and you know, especially one of the key things that happened was that we closed uh, Malaysia closed its borders. Mm-hmm. Um, but then we also needed Malaysian workers to support our economy. Yeah. Uh, Singapore wasn't selfish and saying, you know, you guys are a different country. We're not going to support you. We recognize that we we have uh, interlinks that are yeah. important, and we basically found places for them to stay. We mobilized. Do you, do you hear about the guy, the SBS driver who drives between Malaysia and Singapore, and then SBS put him up in a five star hotel. Is it? He was on. He was on. Face, he was on. Oh, I think on Facebook, Instagram, he was posting pictures. Is like even if I even if they knock me under a bus or they did something to me, I would still work for them. Yeah. Yeah, because <laughs> they put him in like in a, like a gorgeous place. And I think that's that's a good thing. That's a good thing. We're like really taking care of not just our own people, but the people who contribute yep. to Singapore. That, yeah. that That's a big thing. Actually, you covered so many good things about Singapore. I I was going to talk about like the taking care of like F&B and stuff, but right. I got another one that I'm really appreciative. Rice Media had this uh, video it was a lo-fi mix oh, of, right. yeah, of Lee Sien Long, basically. Wow, it was so dope. Yeah. Like, <laughs> so that's one of the good things that came out of this. There's, of this there's been a lot more memes Yeah, it's a lot uh, more memes. in, in I mean, COVID-19. Yeah, I mean, you got to trust the Gen yeah. Zs and the millennials to get through with the memes. Man. Yeah, I can't wait for us to do a proper COVID-19 episode sometime in the future Yeah, uh, because I think we'll have a lot of We have fun. a lot of things to say, a yeah. lot of things to say. I mean, but, but having said that, you know, as much as the memes are, are interesting, mm-hmm. um, there is there is real pain happening right now. There is, there is. Uh, we had two deaths so far, uh, you know, as of March 23rd. Uh, hopefully that's the last of the deaths. But at the same time, we, you know, there, this is a long run. I feel like 
my personal assessment is that Singapore, as a as a societal culture, we we do have what it takes to last through this, to get through this and come out better. Uh, we just need to keep supporting, you know, the good the good values that 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 are the foundation of our society, rather than the things that actually make us. You know, they may help us in a competitive environment like being kiasu, or like being uh, you know super kanchong about like buying groceries and all this kind of yeah. stuff, but. Yeah, and those things are, are okay when you're in a competitive state. Even then, okay, maybe it's not okay. But you know, <laughs> I, there's some some area for 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 forgiveness. Uh, but over here, I feel like we need to f- double down on things that that will keep us united, that will keep us safe as a society, and not just as individuals. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I mean, that's all I have. Regarding SARS, I think we have a yeah. We had a lot of things to say today. It was a pretty, it was a pretty like info heavy episode. Uh, thanks for tuning in, guys. I think this is uh, this this is signal the official start of the new season for SG Explained. I was gonna count it as like part two of season two. Oh, <laughs> because okay, <la. laughs> yeah, I uh, whatever you want, la boss. Yeah. You just choose. You just choose. Uh, whatever the audience wants, actually, <laughs> yeah. doesn't really matter. Uh, but you know, we will be producing more episodes. Do let us know what you want to listen to, um, and you know, hopefully everyone's taking care of themselves, stay safe, uh, love one another, and make sure that at the end of the day we come out as a better Singapore. Hell yeah. All right. Uh, thanks for listening, guys. Uh, Rovik, we'll get to our physical distance.